Welcome to Paper Team, a podcast about television writing and becoming a TV writer. I'm Alex Friedman, aka TV Calling. And I'm Nick Watson. You can find me on Twitter at underscore NJ Watson. This is a podcast for people like us who are working their way into the business from the ground up and aspire to be television writers, whether comedy or drama. Every episode, we will be alternating between two threads vital to being a successful TV writer, the business side and the writing side. So half of the episodes are going to be about the industry, meeting people when you don't know anyone, uh, networking, finding work, being an assistant, living in LA. And on the writing side, the other half of the episodes uh, will be about writing pilots, writing specs, taking notes, structure, themes, and working in a writer's room. So our first few episodes aim to give you a step-by-step guide to getting yourself established in LA, armed with a basic understanding of TV writing and giving you the tools that you'll need to start your journey to the writer's room. Before we get started, let's introduce ourselves. We are not working TV writers in LA right now, but we feel we still have valuable perspective on what it's like to be hustling to become one. So I'm a comedy writer from Australia. Um, I have a background in film and TV production for more than four years as an onset set PA, uh, director and producer's assistant. I've been an office and writer's PA on shows like Bates Motel, The Muppets, Criminal Minds. Uh, I actually did write for Late Night and a sitcom back home in Australia, and I taught screenwriting at the University of Melbourne. I moved to LA about a year ago. I lived in Vancouver f- before that for about another year. And in that time, I found a manager and uh, my writing partner and I have been put on staffing lists at Cartoon Network, Adult Swim, Comedy Central. And I'm Alex Friedman. I will be representing the drama side of this podcast. And if you detect a slight accent on my end, that is because I am actually from Paris, uh, France, and I moved to the US and LA about five years ago. Since then, I've been working mostly on the TV side uh, in various aspects, like Office PA on shows like Helen Wheels or Falling Skies, as well as the development side at Epix. But uh, you may know me mostly from my website, TV Calling, which I launched in 2008 while I was still in Paris and in college to talk about my own personal journey into TV writing, discussing scripts, things about the industry, jobs, and so on, as well as specs. I'm really proud of the fact that the site has gained as much uh, traction as it has with uh, writers, whether aspiring, professionals, different levels, either citing it or using it as a go-to resource on panels and events and obviously in person. Uh, I won't name drop anyone today, but um, I will say that I'm actually really proud of the good my website has done. Yeah, I was kind of surprised when I met Alex. I'm like, wait, you're that guy who writes the spec list to TV calling? So uh, yeah, he's a little bit starstruck. I am uh, a mere mortal. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I wanted to say as well that we especially welcome any of our listeners from overseas because we are both immigrants ourselves. You know, we, we know what it's like to take that leap and make the move because we have like literally moved halfway across the world to be here from Australia and from France. Exactly. We want to make it easier for you guys to do the same and answer any questions you may have, as well as equip you with any tools that we have to help you succeed. This is about our experiences as outsiders and then insiders in the TV business, as we all, including you guys, hopefully become future writers and showrunners. And today we'll actually be talking about the very first step, moving to LA, knowing why you need to be here and why you want to be here. So basically, we're going to talk about why we literally crossed oceans and moved to LA to work in TV, what you can do to prepare your nascent TV writing career before you move to LA, and why you need to know the town and obviously get a car. Now, Nick, let me ask you a question. Why television? That is a good question. So I, I guess in a way I was like raised by TV. Uh, sorry, mom and dad. I grew up watching 
particularly cartoons and animation were a huge joy of mine and it's something that I've gone on to continue to write. I write a lot of animated sitcoms so uh, when I came home from school every day I would watch this big block of animated programming on Australian TV on a, on a network called ABC and then in the evenings there would be a, a later programming block with stuff like The Simpsons and Family Guy and South Park and so um, those things really uh, sparked that love of television and particularly cartoons and animation for me. Uh, my biggest influence is by far The Simpsons. It's my favorite show of all time. Um, I would watch it every night and I would go and watch repeats and, and everything. So it's uh, even today, it still is a huge influence on my writing and my style. How did you uh, usually watch TV? I would literally sit down in front of a, a television. We had in Australia, maybe four or five free-to-air channels. I, we didn't have cable or satellite or anything like that. So I would sit there with a physical copy of a TV guide and see what was on and, uh, and flick the channels to that and then just kind of veg out and watch. It's interesting. On my end, actually, most uh, American shows were unfortunately dubbed and would usually air like a year two years after the American airing. So I'm not afraid to say that while I was younger, I did turn to downloading shows. It's, uh, it's actually really common for us overseas people because of those, those time lapses in terms of like in Australia as well, the latest American dramas and that sort of thing. We wouldn't get them for like until a year exactly. after they had premiered. Exactly. And, and I still remember the first show I ever downloaded was, uh, sorry, Joss Whedon, uh, Buffy season six. <laughs> and since then, I've been kind of like consuming content non-linearly for basically a decade or more now. My inspiration in TV, I grew up on Joss Whedon, you know, Buffy, Angel, downloading my way through American television. Uh, <laughs> Hopefully the FBI aren't listening to this podcast. <laughs> Hopefully not. Uh, and I always kind of wanted to be in entertainment. I think the first memory I have is actually of watching The Outer Limits, the new Outer Limits, not the original on some like French uh, network. But really what crystallized my desire to be in TV was the series finale from Six Feet Under, which I'm sure I'll talk about another time. Yeah. Uh, but really, I think the that was the episode that kind of crystallized the emotional power that uh, TV writing and TV storytelling uh, could have on a person. So that kind of like brought me over the edge. Yeah, I think that's one of the things that you'll find people is that connection that they have to television is in those particular shows that really spoke to them, connected to them on some kind of deeper thematic level or something like that is what drew people in. Like you, you hear those interviews, the big showrunners and stuff, and they, they can always pinpoint that, you know, that moment that they really were like, wow, this is why I want to be a writer. I think TV is such a big industry that you really need to understand and like be able to articulate why TV for you mm -hmm. and not just have like kind of like a casual relationship with the medium, but really embrace it. That's the kind of stuff that's going to shine through your writing. Yeah. Some people just kind of know that they want to be a writer or a screenwriter, but TV and features are two very different worlds practically once you're out here in the industry working. So it is important to know that you definitely do want to write for television specifically. And uh, and then moving and living in LA is, is a very important step in writing for TV. Whereas features, it's on some level, there is an ability to operate from almost anywhere in the world if you put together a great script and send it out and it gets to the right people by some you know miracle then you can fly in and take meetings and and whatever but if you need to be working in a writer's room they are pretty much all here in la we should take a moment to clarify why it's 
vital to be in in LA if you want to be in TV. Yeah. So not just the fact that writers' rooms exist here, because you can work in television production in other parts of the world. I worked in in Vancouver in Canada. There's a huge amount of production in Atlanta um, and and in Europe and all that sort of thing. But all of the major agencies, management places, studios, networks have their home base here in LA. This is where all the meetings take place. This is where all the the power players get together and they decide that they're going to greenlight this show or that they love this script and they want to make it. Or if you're a beginner writer, you're starting to take meetings with those people at networks and and finding representation. Um, It all takes place here. And so you really need to have your feet on the ground in LA to work as a TV writer. And as two foreigners, I think we have kind of like a unique perspective on this because, again, as I said, we kind of crossed oceans just Mm -hmm. to be in LA. And I think some might wonder, Nick, I mean, you're from Australia. Like Australia is a pretty big country. Mm -hmm. Why is there no TV? Like what's happening here? There is TV in Australia. It it has its strengths and weaknesses. The the biggest problem I found with TV in Australia is it it just operates on a different model, particularly for writers. In America, there is this thing called the showrunner model. And, uh, you know, the idea behind that is that you have someone who is a producer who gets to call all the shots in terms of what goes into the episodes and what goes into the story. They get the final say and they are the like sole creative vision on the show. And the, the key important thing to that is they're also heading up the writer's room most of the time. The, the power is with the writers. Whereas in Australia, they still are operating off of like a non-creative producer model where the people who work with the money and, and, and that kind of thing make the final decisions about the stories and the scripts. And so you don't have that same consistency of, of voice and vision. And even sometimes they don't have writer's rooms in Australia. They will have a producer decides he knows some writer who's a freelance writer and they'll just, here's an outline, write us a script. And, you know, they'll just farm it out to different independent contractors to do that. So there's not even a room full of people where you could work your way up as a writer's PA, writer's assistant and, and get a staff writer gig. It's like you just have to kind of already know people and already be a working professional. There's no ladder, no way to ascend into that. So I think that is slowly changing. Um, a lot more TV shows are starting to adopt that writer's room model, but that was one major stumbling stone for actually getting into TV in Australia, I found. It's interesting that you're talking about the kind of the creative model being headed by the producer in Australia. I think there's a similar dichotomy in France, although it's more based on the kind of like the auteur theory, mm-hmm. where the director has more of the creative power, I should say. There's definitely not that much nurturing of screenwriters in France, I would say, at least not initially. And in fact, I would even go further and say that television as an art form wasn't seen that way in my country until very recently. If you go to, you know, just by the New York Times, go to the art section of the New York Times, probably going to find the television is in that section. Yeah. If you go to France and buy Le Monde, television until recently, I think, was definitely not in any section that was considered anything remotely art. Interesting. Yeah, that's that's fascinating that directors have a lot of the power in TV in France, because certainly here in the States, directors for TV are more like hired guns. They're brought in for their episode. They might have a decent amount of creative input on that episode in particular, but very rarely is there a director who stays with an entire series of TV because it's just practically impossible with the schedules. True Detective is arguably one of the closest example of what French television could look like. Mm -hmm. You have one sort of well-known writer from outside television coming in and writing a full season by himself and then having a fairly well-known director just direct the full season. And Mm -hmm. it's one writer giving away kind of his power to the director on some level. And I think there's there's kind of this this sentiment where if you look at most even well-regarded recent French television shows, a lot of them have the same dichotomy. I'll give the example of this show called 
called Paris on Arte, where the writer of the show, it was only one person and she wrote kind of the full season, but she was not interested in show running, mm -hmm. right? Because that's, again, that's the business side, right? Like yeah. people, people forget that show running means both the running side and or the creative side and the business side. And she was not interested in that side of it. She was only interested in writing her thing and then passing it on to the director who at that point kind of like took the reins of the show. To circle back to kind of like television and my relationship to television, similar to Australia, there was no clear ladder to climb, right? I think that's one of the key points of like moving to LA is overall, there's a clear sense of direction, kind of the, the idea of like what you need to break in. Yeah, exactly. There's no well-worn path that is, a, you know, if you take these exact steps, you will 100% become a writer, but there are very clear entry points, whether that is working on a TV show as a PA and then making your way up and becoming a writer's assistant, maybe getting a freelance script, getting promoted to a staff writer, all that kind of thing, or whether it's doing, you know, agency kind of route and meeting those people through that and through those connections, maybe you get read by the right people and you get staff. Yeah, the, those opportunities just don't seem to exist outside of this city uh, for a lot of people. Things may change at some point. I, I do wonder, do you have like a desire to like go back and change the way TV is made in Australia? I mean, I'd love to. And there are a few people who are starting to do that. Shane Brennan, who is uh, an Australian showrunner, maybe one of the only ones working in the States who ran uh, NCIS, I think for a while and, and some of their spinoffs. He has just recently returned to Australia, been in negotiations with the Producers Guild there and that kind of thing to change the way that the Australian TV industry is working to bring in more of that showrunner model into give more creative control and power to the writers. So I think things are slowly starting to change. And hopefully by the time I'm at a level where I can come back, um, I might not have to, you know, lead a revolution. But I'm certainly I would like to give back to my country and my culture and be able to work in TV there once I get to a certain level here. Right. I think in France also there's a few changes being made. The most well known example is at Le Femis, which is kind of like France's most famous film school that I think two years ago started their first TV writing program. Now what's interesting about that is from what I understand they bring in these high level showrunners from around the globe like Tom Fontana and all these like high powered like writers and I think they're teaching all these young writers mostly showrunning skills which is interesting but it kind of undercuts the job of a TV writer on some level I feel like where if you work in TV nine times out of ten you're probably going to be a staff writer or like some variation thereof especially on a, at a television writing school that could cause a problem down the line potentially. Yeah traditionally here in the States the way you start to learn those producing skills very slowly as you make your way up. Depending on your showrunner, they even from the level of staff writer, they might be like, hey, do you want to go down on set and supervise your episode? Or do you want to sit in the edit room for this because you wrote the first draft of the script or whatever? Um, some people may, might not let you do that until you get up to a higher level, like a co-EP kind of thing. But that is how here you would learn to be a showrunner. <laughs> So we might be getting a little bit ahead of ourselves though. Let's just take a step back and think about what was it that we did before we even got on a plane and came over here to prepare ourselves to move to LA and to try to get into that TV industry and make it as a writer. What are some of the steps you took, Alex? Learn and practice the writing craft. Don't just show up in LA wanting to be a TV writer without ever having written a single teleplay in your life. There are a lot of publicly available television writing books they can buy and learn the craft. And practically, I just started writing specs. One example I did 
did was Flashpoint. Uh, Flashpoint was this like Canadian procedural show, action procedural with Enrico Cantoni from a few years ago. And I just started kind of like reverse engineering the show. I didn't have any scripts. I just had the episodes and I would just like watch and break them, kind of like figure out how to write a spec from that. Um, That's great. I mean, myself, I actually studied it formally at university. I did a master's degree in screenwriting. Um, so that went for a couple of years and they took you through all the, you know, the theory and the practice. And we did a lot of kind of like analyzing structure of watching, you know, episodes of The Sopranos and Breaking Bad and things like that. And then working on our own stuff. That was kind of our, our thesis was to come up with our own script and, and Bible and, and stuff like that. And it covered all that kind of different stuff. But one thing that I've found really common with people, particularly beginning writers, is this, this notion that you can't be taught how to write. Um, a lot of people, you know, say that they're like a writing is so, you know, it's so ephemeral. Like it's uh, you either have it or yeah. you don't. But like, what, what are your thoughts on that? Like, can you be taught how to write? I think television is arguably the closest thing to a craft that can be taught. You know, like I always give the example of you can be taught how to paint, but you can't be taught how to be a painter. And I think writing is a lot like that. And a lot of people are being bogged down with this idea of, oh, I need to like figure out how to be creative. But TV has a very specific structure. You can definitely be taught and learn the craft on the basic structural level. Yeah, you can be taught the brush strokes when you're painting. You can be taught how to mix colors. You can be taught color theory and what which colors go well together. We're not going to tell you what you should be painting or, you know, what how you should express yourself necessarily. But once you figure that out, we can tell you how to make it the most effective it can be. Exactly. Television to me has a very almost like mathematical model to it, where it has a very finite amount of scenes, a very finite amount of acts, characters and so on versus maybe features which beyond the classic 90 page three act structure may not have the same format to it. Yeah, so I actually used to teach screenwriting for a year uh, at the University of Melbourne, and the assessment that we gave to the students was to write a 10-page short script. And outside of even just teaching people the formatting of screenplays, like how to write action dialogue, how far you should indent things, I mean, Final Draft does it all for you these days, but just like the basics of story is something, you know, structure or what you need to tell a good story is something that you can kind of uh, teach people. Um, you don't have to follow it to the letter, but uh, an example that I always give is like the absolute fundamental of a story, particularly a screen story, is like a protagonist must do an action in pursuit of a goal despite some obstacles or else the stakes, you know, like what's the bad thing that's going to happen. That is like at the fundament of, of everything uh, in terms of story. And so I'm not telling you exactly what you need to put in that story, but it should have these elements of story to it to be compelling. Right. I think the bottom line with this is not to like teach writing in like two minutes right now, but really to illustrate the point that even if you're outside of LA, you can learn screenwriting, you can learn writing, you can learn TV writing specifically, regardless of where you are. Yeah, a hundred percent. It doesn't, you don't need to be in LA to learn how to write. And I would certainly encourage you to learn how to write and get some scripts under your belt before you set off on the plane to come to LA. Otherwise, once you start meeting people and they're like, oh, you're a writer, can I read something? And you're like, no, I haven't written anything. Then... <laughs> You're not going to get very far. So. How many, <laughs> I have a question for you. How many people do you think live in LA seeing they are a writer without having a script? Oh, too many. <laughs> too, uh, too many? Yeah, every waiter. No, that's, that's a cliche, Ouch. But, uh, no, sorry. <laughs> yeah, no, I just mean like it's all great if you say that you want to be a writer and you're excited about like writing for TV and you've got this great idea. But learn how to put it down on the page and, and have a go at it. And that's how you're going to be a writer is by writing. 
Right. And I think the the second step after you have some practice with writing is getting actual experience. Yeah, it would be great if you could find your way into working in TV in some capacity. Uh, And you don't even need to be in LA to do that yet. Even in Australia, I was able to get some experience on set and a few productions, even if it's literally like student films and like local community television and that kind of thing. Go and volunteer your time, learn how a set runs. You know, if you can get into writing short films and getting your friends to make them, all that kind of thing, it's invaluable. So for example, there was a, a university in Melbourne called RMIT and they had their own TV studio underneath the university and they would actually invite students and volunteers to come in and make shows that they would broadcast locally to, you know, throughout that state. Uh, one of the ones that I got involved with was a late night talk show and I actually ended up in their like writer's room for three seasons coming up with kind of like topical jokes, monologues, um, you know, gags, segments. Um, I ended up becoming a segment producer and working one-on-one with a host and to, you know, even coming up with uh, the actual segments they were doing, not just writing them and then working with my own little room of writers. And that was, you know, the ability to experience a, a little microcosm of a writer's room like that right. was incredible. The communal experience of writing together. Yeah. Like I wasn't getting paid or uh, you know, WGA minimum or something to be doing that. But I think that that experience was still invaluable and I got to meet a bunch of great people. And, you know, if I wanted to go out and make my own show or for short film at that point, at least then I knew crew members and I knew writers and I knew directors. Exactly. And it doesn't even have to be like paid work necessarily. On my end, although I didn't really have any set experience beyond the college short films I used to make, I did intern at this online website called tutelatelier.com. Nick is going to mock me for my uh, French accent in a second. (laughs) But um, yeah, I mean, I basically got to interview American actors in France that were promoting shows. And even just that, I think, accustomed me to interacting with LA people, whatever that means. And the example in this case was Hell Harper from CSI New York, who was on Limitless. But uh, just those kinds of interactions, even within the constraints of being an interview and so on, regardless of where you are on in, in another country, whatever it is, there are ways to dip your toes in this industry. Yeah. And one way that we can do that these days is by using the internet. It's actually really easy to put yourself out there and start to make connections and build a brand for yourself. I know that's what you did, right, Alex? Back in 2008, when I was still in college and years before I even moved to the US, I already knew I wanted to be a television writer. So I kind of decided to do what I do worst, which is talking about myself. I launched a blog called TV Calling, chronicling my own kind of journey into TV writing, experiences with immigration, spec pilots, jobs, all that kind of thing. All these kind of like writing related and industry related thoughts and problems I was going through. And the site grew from there over the years. Uh, Honestly, I believe it's been one of the biggest factors to my own success. And I think also a few readers successes uh, as well, just going by some of the emails I receive. I will emphasize though, that it is not a one and done deal. For TV calling, it's been an eight year plus commitment and well over 600 posts just as of this podcast. But don't let that intimidate you from putting yourself out there. It can all just start with a simple WordPress website or YouTube clip or anything like that. Yeah. And there's also Twitter these days, which is a huge way to be even interacting directly with writers and showrunners. There's a guy called Jeff Lieber, who is a showrunner on one of the NCIS shows, and uh, he will directly answer people's questions. I've chatted with him a bunch of times. He's a very friendly guy. And uh, you can interact with anyone and everyone on Twitter. And and in comedy, it's also very common for writers to be noticed on Twitter. Uh, A friend of mine, Simon, 
Simon Taylor, he was, uh, he worked with me on that late night show back in Australia. And um, he got noticed by uh, The Tonight Show with Jay Leno for his jokes on Twitter. And then they asked him to submit stuff freelance. And every time they picked up one of his jokes or, you know, monologues or anything like that, then he would, they would send him a check. And so um, it's incredible what you can do. For comedy, especially, it's very important to put yourself out there. Yeah. Uh, and that usually translates to being funny. So you can do that on Twitter. You can do that and stand up. You can do that in many other ways. And those are things you can do outside of just being in LA. Yeah, exactly. Another way that I found was really useful uh, is also submitting to screenplay competitions. And I will include the caveat that there are some that are going to do more for you than others. There are an infinite amount of screenplay competitions out there. So do some research, find the bigger ones, the ones that have have proven track records and success stories. You'll find stuff like the um, the Nickel Academy Nickel um, screenplay competition, which is open to features. People who make the top ten, top five of that regularly go on to get a, a number of you know feature writing assignments. A friend of mine from Australia uh, made the top ten of that, and from that he got an agent and a manager, and he's been doing work writing features for people. And on the TV side, obviously the Austin Film Festival is probably the biggest contest yeah. there is, and that's definitely a contest you can enter regardless of where you live. I went to the Austin Film Festival last year and I met a few Australians who had entered something in the festival and then they got through to a certain round and Austin actually makes it a little bit cheaper for you to get your tickets if you've done well in the competition. So they came over and they wanted to, you know, do the whole conference and meet people and it was an incredible networking experience. So that's something you could look at doing as well as maybe taking a short little trip over here and just putting your feet down on the ground and getting in a few doors and saying hello to people. So now that you have scripts under your belt, some TV experience, and you kind of put yourself out there either online or through contests or whatever it is, you can move to LA. And once you get to LA, there are a couple of things maybe you may want to know before you do. Yeah, I mean, just in terms of practicalities, it's a really good idea to learn the neighborhoods of LA and learn those major arteries, all the freeways that run through town. I, I still don't think that I knew all of them properly until a month or two ago. You know, there's the the five, there's the four or five, there's a, a million different numbers that will be thrown at you and people will make jokes about like, oh, the traffic on the whatever. And I would just kind of like laugh along like, yeah, I know what you're talking about. But yeah, it's good to know which direction they head, where that's going to get you. Um, there are like little shortcuts like Coldwater Canyon, that kind of like practicality. Just watch the Californian sketch from Saturday Night Live over and over again <laughs> and research every single intersection they mention in every single line and you will know LA like never before. Yeah, and it is very easy to get some things confused, you know, like confusing Playa del Rey with Marina del Rey or, you know, Glendale with Glen Feliz. I don't know, there's so many things that sound similar. And if you watch Zootopia, you'll know that it's pronounced Tohunga and not Tojunga. <laughs> yeah, uh, if you ever still have your like GPS stuck on Australian pronunciation, it is <laughs> the most horrible thing you will ever hear. It's like, and now we're going to Kahwenga Boulevard. Like, it's <laughs> uh, make sure you change it to the US pronunciation. Right. And uh, whether you're a PA running around or uh, an assistant stuck behind a desk, I think it's really important to know the neighborhood, if only to set up drinks for your boss or yourself. Or if you've got to go make a run halfway across, I had to go from Burbank to Malibu one time. And, you know, you really need to know where you're going and where you're going to end up. And one of the best ways that you can do that outside of sitting there staring at a book of maps or, you know, <laughs> memorizing everything on Google Maps is to actually get out there and explore the town, like go out 
out to events, go have drinks with people at different bars. You have a bit of a social life. Right. I think it's important to point out that there's no real top five secret hotspots that you kind of need to know before getting to LA. Just because, you know, in a few months, anything we may name drop right now will be irrelevant. There's this book called The Hollywood Assistance Handbook that I kind of rediscovered recently, written by uh, Peter Nowak, who's now the showrunner slash creator of How to Get Away with Murder. And in this book, they mention a lot of like great content for like life in LA. But a few of those references are kind of outdated because this book got published around, I want to say 2007, 2008. And one of the examples they give of kind of the hotspot for celebrities is Earth Cafe, Mm -hmm. which obviously is still in existence, but I would not call it like the go-to like celebrity spot in LA now, right? Yeah, things change very quickly. If everyone knows that this is a hot secret hotspot for celebrities, it's not a secret anymore and they're going to stop going there because people like you are going to come up and ask them for autographs and things. So, Dude, come on. (laughs) We're going to talk about that. So this is going to seem really obvious and everyone's going to tell you this, but in LA, you need a car. Um, There's really no other way to get around it. And we have a few horror stories of trying to navigate LA without a car. Yeah, my first six months in LA were rough. I did not have a car. Again, I moved straight from Paris to LA no car, no driver's license. Just um, a baguette under his arm and a beret on his head. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I was just taking the bus everywhere. And I had this meeting that I ended up setting up at DreamWorks Animation. At that time, I was living in Hollywood. And I took the bus from LA to DreamWorks Animation. And by taking a bus, I really mean taking six buses. <laughs> but I'm uh, sure you had a great time on all those buses, too. It's very friendly people in LA public transport. It was amazing mm-hmm. to just listen to music and observe the environment. Isn't that the, isn't that what writers do? Just observe other people on the yeah, bus? there's an argument for that, for sure. So it took me like about two to three hours from Hollywood, one way to go to DreamWorks Animation. Now, if you don't know where DreamWorks Animation is, it's in Burbank. And if you don't know where Burbank is, it's maybe what, like 30, 45 minutes by car from Hollywood, give or take? Yeah, if you had a car and you needed to drive to Burbank, Glendale, it would be like 25, 30 minutes direct. Right, but the fact that I took three buses <laughs> to go from Hollywood to Burbank, bank and it took me two or three hours to get there really in my mind gave me the impression that it was so far off to be you know again three hours away from Hollywood it wasn't until years later that I realized finally when I went back to DreamWorks Animation that while driving it only took me like 30 45 minutes and I realized it was only in Burbank which is again really close to Hollywood yeah there's no way you're going to be able to get anywhere reliably if you have to take six buses to get there I mean I ran into this when I was living up in Vancouver in Canada as well I didn't have a car when I was working as a set PA for a while. And the majority of the things that they film in Vancouver are actually about half an hour to an hour east of Vancouver out in places like Burnaby, um, you know, Bates Motels out there, all that kind of thing. So I would be getting up at like three in the morning to get on a bus, to change over to a train, to get on another bus, just to get out to this distant location that would have taken maybe half an hour to drive to in a car. And so I was adding th- another two hours transport either way onto a day that was already 15 to 18 hours. And it's just like impossible to do that. And I'm sure it's going to be a similar thing here in LA as well. Another funny story was that I managed to get a job as a director's assistant and I was really stoked about it. I'm like, yeah, I'm moving up in the world. You know, everything was locked down. I was about to start the next day and I call up the production coordinator and I'm like, hey, so 
do I get a call from you guys? Or like, <laughs> <laughs> and just like the like voice drop and they're just like, you don't have a car. And I'm like, I'll have one by tomorrow. I'm sorry, please don't fire me. Uh, so I like ran out. I like canceled like a shift that I had that day to go out and find a car to rent and drive it up there the next day. And I paid out the nose because I was like under 25 at the time. And they, right. they love to charge you for that. So but you're I'm saying, just like, I needed this job. So you're saying definitely lie to your supervisor, right? That's, <laughs> that's the takeaway, right? That's, that will get you through every problem my life <laughs> lie this is yeah this is actually the secret lesson here so, <laughs> just lie uh, through it yeah so please look into a car learn how to drive in la and on the right side of the road for from here yeah and i know we're kind of talking generalities here but really there's no real list to prepare for your stay in la beyond the obvious kind of like move to a new place change your mailing address kind of advice yeah um it really is just kind of like when you're cooking a lobster and you put it in the pot and you just slowly <laughs> Raise the temperature up ever so slightly so the lobster doesn't know that it's being cooked alive. That's how you need to experience LA. Wow, are we are we being cooked alive? <laughs> I don't know. Um, I mean, it, it is like 126 right it's now. It's a little so. bit crazy. I don't know. I'm still getting used to Fahrenheit and Celsius. That's another oh, thing you guys should learn. Don't get me started on that. I'm still <laughs> on the Celsius. Six years later, I'm still doing the Celsius thing. <laughs> but yeah, ultimately, I think there's no real secret list of things to do in LA. There's kind of this stigma about LA that you need to learn these like secret tips to like succeed but beyond the obvious things that we just mentioned i don't know why we even have this podcast but but honestly i think it really is just about going into the deep end and understanding the area once you get here exploring yeah exactly Let's figure out some takeaways for our folks. Number one, know why you actually want to be in television, why it needs to be the thing that you want to do with your life in order to make this huge decision to to come to LA and, and try and work in that career. Right. I think the second big takeaway is get the ball rolling even before you get to LA, whether that means writing a bunch of specs, entering competitions, or just getting some experience. Put yourself out there before you even land in LA. Yeah. And I think our last point was try to figure out the town, both literally and figuratively, find where the neighborhoods are, get a car, know how to get around, know where to go. And what are some uh, resources we can uh, give out? So this one is actually a lot more focused on the industry itself and how things work in terms of like, this is what a studio does. This is what a network does. This is how a production company works. But it's stuff that isn't really just obvious to a lot of people. And it certainly wasn't obvious to me when I read this book. Um, But it's something that you really need to know if you're going to be working in the industry. So the book that I recommend, is called Small Screen Big Picture. Uh, it's by a guy called Chad Govich. And uh, it is just how television works as an industry. And it's fairly digestible. And I actually recommend uh, a couple of books. One is This Business of Television by Howard Blumenthal. It's not necessarily a book that you should read cover to cover like I did. Is in it like the high Robert school. McKee's story of like business? Yeah, basically. I mean, it's not as boring, <laughs> <laughs> but it's actually a, kind of like a desktop like reference book talking about copyright and legal documents and programming and distribution. And I know it doesn't sound fun, but it's actually a really great overview of just kind of the bare bones of how literally the industry works, not on an assistant level, but on the macro level. And I think just having that reference book when people mention things either online, interviews or in person will be a great help. Now, the second book I would also recommend is something I mentioned previously, The Hollywood Assistant's Handbook by Peter Nowak and Hilary Stam. And it's kind of this a very light overview of tips and tricks to learn about being an assistant 
assistant in LA. As I said, it's a little bit outdated. I think it got published around 2008, but uh, there's some valuable insight just in terms of life in LA and kind of the general vibe of the city. So we just want to thank you all for listening and giving us your time. If you would like to give us a review, you can look us up on paperteam.co. That's not .com, .co. Paperteam.co slash iTunes. If you guys give us reviews, that helps us get new listeners. We can build our community. We can get you guys more content and we'll all have a good time. Yeah, and you can find us online. Uh, I'm at TV Calling. Yeah, and I'm at underscore NJ Watson. If you have any questions, thoughts, hate mail, you can just tweet us. Or yeah, Robert uh, McKee is going to send us some hate mail for <laughs> dissing his story. <laughs> or he's going to send us a, a ticket to a seminar. <laughs> He'll probably send us a book that's like 600 pages thick of hate mail. But yeah. Story about Paper Team. Yeah. <laughs> and why they suck. $2,000 seminar that we both have to go to. <laughs> What are we going to talk about next week, Nick? Uh, next week, we're going to start to delve into some of that writing stuff. So what we really want to focus on is how to decide whether you're going to be a comedy or a drama TV writer, why you have to make that choice and why it's important. I think we may be fighting physically at some point because I'm a drama and you're a comedy. Yeah, I'm going to bring like sharpened swords or like pistols or something. You can choose the weapon, but we'll deal at dawn. And on that note, thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs> See you guys next time.